My name is Jake. My name is not Jake. My name is Matt. That's Jake. That's why we wear those name tags, because sometimes we forget. My name is Matt. Good starting point. Good starting point. This is good. My name is Matt, and I am the youth ministry coordinator here at Community Church. And it's a joy to be with you this morning, and it's a joy to look at the good news of the gospel. I'm very, very stoked to, to get into this this morning. Um, as Jake said, we're going to be going through the good news this morning, and I was thinking about Jake because my first example is about Jake. <laughs> a few months back, he and I were walking down Main Street, grabbing a, grabbing a cup of coffee, and we're just walking, chatting with our coffee, and we hear this man behind us start yelling, hey, what's the good news? What, what, do, you, what do you got for me? What's the good news over there? And Jake and I are like, what? Not many people on the streets, so we assumed he's talking to us. We turn around, he's pointing at my shirt. He's like, what's that good news you got there? Hey, what do, you, what do you got any good news for me? And so we go over and we talk with him a little bit, and it was a cool moment. We got to hear a little bit of his story and got to share a little bit about um, Jesus with him. And it was a cool experience, but it caused me kind of to reflect and look back and realize we may not be as loud and boisterous as that man yelling to us across the street was, um, but we all are crying out for good news. We may not be doing it in a vocal way, screaming at people across the street, but we all, deep down in the depths of our being, are crying out for good, good news. We all need the good news. So that's what I want to look at this morning. I'm going to look at the good news. The true event of God in the person of Jesus coming to earth, dying on the cross, and rising again from the dead. I want to look at that good news. But more than that, I want to talk about rescue this morning. I want to talk about rescue. So if you can turn in your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1. It'll be on the screen or on page 953 in the Pew Bible. We're going to take a look at the great rescue mission of God. So Colossians 1.3 says this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring up from the hope stored for you in heaven, and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned about it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So I don't know about you, but I love a great rescue movie. Whether it's, you know, Saving Private Ryan or any of the 247 Die Hard movies that were made or even Toy Story, right? I love I love the action, I love the adventure. I love seeing I love seeing the search parties explain 
bold displays of bravery and sacrifice and strong commitment to rescuing those in peril. I love a great rescue movie. But there's always this point in the movie, somewhere near the beginning, where things seem to be going well, everything's kind of going as expected, when some catastrophic, unforeseen, unfortunate event just disrupts the whole plot, right? There's always some tragic event that causes the rescue to be necessary in the first place, right? Take Toy Story, for example. One of my favorite movies as a four-year-old. If you haven't seen it, I strongly recommend it. But it's the story of this boy's, this boy Andy, his toys that come to life when he's not there. And the movie follows two of his main toys, Buzz Lightyear and Woody the Cowboy. And it's a pretty quite quaint, heartwarming movie, little toys doing their thing, until this guy appears on the scene. This is Sid Phillips. And from the looks of him, he is a punk. <laughs> he is the unforeseen tragic event of Toy Story. He captures Buzz and Woody and starts all these maniacal experiments on him, on them and, and keeps them in like the back, back of his room locked up and he starts doing these surgeries on them and all that. And the rest of the movie is this epic rescue mission to save Buzz and Woody from this punk Sid. Every rescue story has its Sid. Ours is no different. And I believe that the reason that we want the good news of rescue so badly is because we all know Sid far too well. We need to be rescued because there is bad, bad news. So you're probably wondering, okay, what sort of bad news is there? Is it like, you know, we use that word in a lot of varying degrees. Bad is like, okay, today was a bad day at work. I got three parking tickets and my boss yelled at me. Bad news. There's also the, I burnt the turkey and burnt the pie, bad news, which is worse than getting three parking tickets. Burnt pie is an atrocity. There's also bad news like the Patriots lost the Super Bowl. I'm from New York, so I probably shouldn't be saying that. Too soon, that's fair, that's fair. I mean, that's bad news, right? That's but the bad news in our story is far, far worse than that. I'm talking about like the worst news we could ever hear, like ever. Jake touched on this a little bit last week, but I want to go a little bit deeper. The bad news is we are born into a world of darkness, and there is nothing that we can do to rescue ourselves out of it. We are born into a world of darkness, and there is nothing we can do to rescue ourselves out of it. Colossians 1 tells us that we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness. Wait, what? Dominion of darkness. What is this language? First pass, it sounds like something from like Dungeons and Dragons or Star Wars, like the dominion of darkness. Um, and it sounds very foreign and irrelevant. And it's like, I don't see a dominion of darkness. There's no Darth Vader. There's no dark stormy clouds. What are you talking about, Paul? What is this dominion of darkness? But when we take a closer look at what Paul is seeking to convey in the dominion of darkness, unfortunately we'll see just how pervasive and how real this darkness is. This image of dominion of darkness is clearly seen all throughout the Bible. Ephesians 6, Paul describes it a little bit deeper and he says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What the heck does that mean? That was not much clearer. In other words, this present world in which we live, Satan and his minions are at work to the seeking to distract humanity away from the loving goodness of God and blind the world in such a way that it's run, running amok in utter spiritual darkness and horrid, horrid evil. If you haven't noticed, the world's pretty messed up as a result. The dominion of darkness is characterized by forces of chaos and evil and destruction. Does it sound a little bit more familiar? Sound like something maybe we've seen a little bit? We see it all around us in the news. Constant turmoil in war, instability, systemic injustice, oppression of the poor, racism, suppression of truth, hatred, domestic violence. The list goes on and on. And the Bible explains that this darkness comes as a result of spiritual forces of evil wrecking havoc in rebellion against God and seeking to bring all of humanity down with him. And as a result, the world is lost in darkness. That's bad news. That's bad news. But that's pretty obvious. All we have to do is turn on the news to check that out. Right? We would all agree that the world is lost in darkness. It's very easy to say the darkness is out there, but if we're brutally honest with ourselves, the darkness is also in here as well. We are lost in darkness. It shows itself in our default inability to understand and apply God's truth in a moral standard. We sin. Romans 1.21 tells us that though we knew God, we neither acknowledged Him or honored Him, and as a result, our thinking became futile and our foolish hearts were, there's the word, darkened. I love how the Amplified Bible puts it. For even though they knew God as their Creator, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him as such. On the contrary, they became worthless in their thinking, godless pointless reasonings, silly speculations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory and majesty of excellence for the immortal of the immortal God for worthless idols in the shape of mortal man and birds and four-footed animals and reptiles. That's pretty dark. That's pretty dark. And it's really, really, really easy and convenient to read that text in Romans and think, thank goodness that's not me. That's just describing those hedonistic paganisms right there, right? Those people who just throw all their money on themselves and live in lavish, sinful lives, right? That's really convenient. And I wish it was that way. But that text is describing us. We're no different than they. Not only are we lost in darkness, but our default posture, all of our default postures, is to actively pursue it. One of the questions I get most often asked by the students in Youth Center, um, which is kind of interesting that they go there, is what would have happened if Adam hadn't eaten the fruit and disobeyed God? My answer to them every time is, I don't know, George probably would have done it instead. Or Sally, or Jim, or Matt. We like to think that we wouldn't have done it if we were in Adam's position in the Garden of Eden, but the truth of the matter is we do the same thing every single day. We, like Adam and Eve, have been created for life to the full in relationship with God. 
Yet also like Adam and Eve, we reject, we reject God's best and we believe the dark deception of the world around us and we give in to lies and temptation of the enemy and we actively choose the darkness. We embrace and feed the very beast that's seeking to devour us. That's what sin is. It's the darkness we were born into and left to our own devices, it's the darkness that we will allow to kill us. This is really bad news. I'm sorry that this is, this is how I'm opening up, but this is bad news. But I don't have to keep going on about this. We all feel this. This is nothing new. Each of us, I 100% guarantee, feel the deep growl of our darkened hearts urging us to indulge in pride, in lust, in addiction, in jealousy, in hatred, in gossip, in slander, And more than that, we not only see the scarring marks it has on ourselves, but even those around us. We see the way that pornography and affairs tear marriages apart, the way that addictions sent people to rock bottom, the way that gossip and slander have driven people to the point of suicide. And yet, for whatever reason, we still choose the very things that are slowly killing us and those around us, because we are lost in the darkness. And we have no way of getting ourselves out of it. I don't know, you've probably heard, if you haven't, I'll explain to you, of the, the boys' soccer team, the Thai boys' soccer team um, that has been trapped in the cave. If you don't know the story, there was, a, was 12 boys, 11 boys and their coach. 12, um, 12 guys were out exploring in the caves um, one afternoon as like a soccer team initiation. And they're going to go into the furthest depths of the cave over here to sign their names on it. It was a sunny afternoon, and... They were like, hey, we'll just leave all of our packs and all of our supplies and stuff at the mouth of the cave about two and a half miles that way. That way. They left their packs there, and they started wandering, adventuring the cave, going through, down, until they got to about here. At this point, a monsoon and torrential downpour started to flood the cave, filling up the low points of the cave with water, such that these boys were completely trapped. Two and a half miles away from the entrance of the cave in utter, utter darkness. They had one flashlight and it died. That's all they had with them. Apart from outside help, there is no possible way that these boys can make it out. They can't swim. They can't dive. They're weak and undernourished. They are completely unable to even see what direction they should start in. Like, imagine just shutting your eyes in, like, sensory deprivation, deprivation tank. You can't hear, you can't see. That's what those boys are in. So they wouldn't even begin to know which way to start going. And much like those boys in the cave, we are spiritually and utterly lost in the darkness of our sin and unable to get ourselves out of it. We don't even know which way to start going towards rescue. That's the bad news. We are lost in darkness, and there is nothing we can do to get ourselves out of it. What a wretched people we are! Who will rescue us from this body of death? Thanks be to God, for He has rescued us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen! We're not in the cave! We are talking about rescue after all. 
we do have a rescue. We know that we are not stuck in the cave. I love Galatians 1.4. It tells us that Christ gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. I don't want to skip through that. I'm going to read it again. Christ Himself gave Himself for our sins to be rescued, that we may be rescued from the present evil age. I don't want to just let that pass by. There's a good chance that most of us this morning have heard that good news, that Christ has given Himself. There's also a greater chance that most of us this morning have received that good news. There's also a good chance this morning that a lot of us have forgotten the beauty of the Rescuer in that good news. I myself included. Colossians 1.21 puts it this way. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Let's pause there for a little bit. In our state of darkened, cave-dwelling, helpless hopelessness, we weren't just like simply lost in the darkness. You know, we weren't just lost the way like innocent puppies get lost when they wander from home. We weren't just lost in the way that like a naive soccer team exploring caves happened to be trapped in the darkness. No, we were, resu- we were lost as a result of actively rejecting God. And as a result, we were alienated from Him and considered His enemies. Our stumbling in the darkness not only hurt us, and those around us, but also the very Creator who gave us breath. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Paul also reminds us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were actively running deeper and deeper and deeper into the dark cave of our sin, Christ died for us. Do we forget that? God Almighty, sinless, perfect, all-powerful, all-just, and simply letting us run our wayward, darkened course, died for us. He chose to stoop down into our pitiful state of existence and take on the likeness of us who screwed it all up and threw it back in His face. Christ has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. This is good news. This is deeply good news. Go back with me to the Garden of Gethsemane a little bit. I want to go back to when Jesus is praying. The agony, the sweat drops of blood dripping down his forehead as he prepares what he knows is the inevitable. I want to go back to the betrayal of Judas and the abandonment of the disciples those whom Jesus hand-selected and spent the last three years living with, ran away and abandoned him. Still, Jesus allowed himself to be captured and arrested. I'm going to go back to when Jesus is brought before Pilate and Herod. And the crowds are screaming and chanting, for Jesus to be crucified! Crucified! Yet Jesus is silent, and he allows the crowds to wrongfully accuse him. Even on the very cross itself as the people mocked him, spat in his face, and drove nails into his hands, thorns into his brow, plunged a spear in his side, even still, Jesus allowed himself 
be subjected to all of that. Why? Why? To rescue the very ones who put the nails in his hands. To rescue the very ones who spat in his face. To rescue the very ones who abandoned, denied, and betrayed him. To rescue the very ones who wandered off in the darkness. To rescue us. It was our sin that held him there. For he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Yet the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the depth of our rescue. That's the beauty of how far our rescuer is willing to go to save us to the very ultimate end. What depth of love gives of himself so utterly and completely to save a people who so utterly and completely rejected him? Do we get that? I don't, I don't think we do. In our pea-sized brains, I don't, we don't even have a category for that sort of love. That is so out here that we can't even begin to fully understand all of it. And yet that's the love that's shown to us. That is, that is the rescue that's offered to us to save us from our helpless, hopeless darkness into the kingdom of the Son whom He loves. That's the depth of our rescue. And that's the beauty of our rescuer. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Through Jesus' life and death and resurrection, we are indeed rescued. We are rescued from the helpless spinning of our wheels in darkness. We are rescued from the power and the dominion of the enemy. We are rescued from the darkness in ourselves. We are rescued from all of this into His kingdom. You see, this isn't sort of like a, oh, I've fallen, let me help you stand back up sort of rescue. This is a, oh, you've fallen, let me teach you how to fly sort of rescue. Amen? He doesn't just keep us back to where we were, okay, figure it out. No, we are rescued into the kingdom of the Son He loves. That is good news. Before our rescue, we were enemies of God. And after our rescue, we are welcomed as dearly loved children into His kingdom. His love for us is that great. We've been rescued from the darkness of our helpless estate, from the darkness of our rebellion, from the darkness of the world, from the darkness of our very sin. And we've been rescued into the kingdom of light to be accepted and loved as a child of God to receive grace and mercy and healing and wholeness. We are rescued into the light of God's kingdom. This is good, good news. Deeply good news. So now what? Cool. That's good. Sweet. 
It's pretty obvious if you haven't been rescued, you should probably get on that. If you have not received that rescue, let yourself be rescued. Jesus loves you. God the Father loves you. Don't let that pass you by. I think sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot and that kind of becomes a trite saying. Jesus loves you. Have a nice day. Have we actually thought the depths of that? Jesus loves you. Like you. Not just you collective, yes, but also you individually. God the Father loves you so much that He not only rescued us from our alienated, helpless estate, but rescued us back so we can be in a relationship with Him. That's love. So I implore you, stop wandering around in the darkness of the cave looking for your own way out of your brokenness. Run to Jesus. He already broke down the walls of the cave anyway. And I know you're probably like, well, Matt, I'm actually not quite sure if you know what I've done in that cave. I've done some bad things in that cave. So have I. There is nothing that you could have done, there's nothing that I could have done that can discredit the rescue of Jesus. Regardless of what we have done in the darkness, that cave has been busted wide open and the glorious light of Jesus' forgiveness is shining through. All we have to do is run to it. Stop looking for ways to save yourself or self-help books or self-improvement. Just run to Jesus. I grew up in a Christian home and heard the good news of the gospel for most of my life. But I don't think I truly began to understand the gospel until a few years ago. I gave my life to Jesus when I was seven and all that, but I don't think I actually understood the gospel until a few years ago. I didn't truly understand my actual need for Jesus, my need to be rescued, until I tried fighting the darkness on my own and kept failing and failing and failing. The rescue is necessary. The rescue is secure and complete. And the rescuer is beautiful. Let yourself be rescued. If that's you, grab anyone with a white name tag after the service, myself, we'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to just point you in the direction of where the light's coming from. But there's also another side to that equation. I really wish it was like, boom, you're rescued, going to heaven. Sweet. I wish it was just a straight beeline to heaven that we were rescued, plucked up, and then that's, we're all good, right? But we know it's not like that. So what about the rest of us who have received rescue? What about us? Well, gosh darn it, I want to tell you to live like you're rescued. Live like you're rescued, because I think we are so prone to forget that we are. Paul says in Colossians 1.23, just below where he declares that we've been rescued from darkness, he says this, Once you've been alienated from God, but were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. We talked about that. That's the rescue. Paul's laying it out there. But then he says this, If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out to you in the gospel. Here's the thing, though. We don't actually do that. We forget. To be honest, you're probably going to forget most of the words that I'm saying right now by the time you have lunch this afternoon. I get that. I'm in the pews most Sundays. 
The problem is not only are we prone to forget the words that are spoken, our hearts are also prone to forget the truths that are preached. Namely, the truth of the security that we have as dearly loved children of God. I'm wearing a t-shirt and flip-flops, if you haven't noticed. Um, and I'm sure most of you just wrote that off as like, he's the youth pastor. He probably doesn't own a collared shirt. <laughs> Which is totally fair. That is fair. I will give you that much. Um, but believe it or not, I do actually try on Sunday mornings to look somewhat presentable. Um, not Dan presentable, but I try. I try. I usually wear a nice button-down shirt collar tucked into my belt, some nice khakis, and if I'm lucky, maybe some loafers that actually match my belt on a good Sunday, on a good Sunday. I do wear my best clothes on Sunday. But if you know me, even just a little bit, you know that collared shirt and khaki pants and loafers are not how I roll, like, at all. Ew. Um, Sorry, sorry, we have our own sense of style. That's not mine. This is how I roll. I wear a t-shirt and shorts and usually a backwards hat. And because this is what I wear every day, my Sunday best is usually left in my closet from Monday to Saturday, just waiting for the next Sunday to roll around. You see, the problem is I think we treat the good news of our rescue much like we treat our Sunday best. We put it on on Sunday and we rejoice in the freedom of the rescue And we glorify in the beauty of our Savior and our Rescuer. But for some reason, when Monday morning rolls around, that good news gets tucked right back in the closet. So the real reason I'm wearing a t-shirt this morning and shorts and flip-flops is because the good news of our rescue is an everyday rescue. It's a moment-by-moment rescue. It's a Monday morning, hit the floor, I have all this struggle and I have all these difficult circumstances to face sort of rescue. It has to be that sort of rescue. We live in this tension because we have been rescued and yet we're still being rescued. Though the powers of darkness have been defeated once and for all and the enemy has no power over us in the name of Jesus, the enemy is still trying to work his one-trick pony show. He really only has one trick, and it's this. To distract the people of God just enough so we look away from his beauty and his grace and his love. So though we have been securely rescued and though we are deeply loved by God, the enemy is still going to tempt us and throw lies at us. Lies that we can never really be free from this one sin. Lies that we aren't really loved by God. Lies that we are too far gone to be forgiven again. And those lies are seeking to lead us back into the darkness that Jesus has rescued us from. And in that, I'm tempted to treat the good news of my rescue like a cosmic life insurance policy that I'll cash in one day when I get to heaven. Like, okay, it's good, I'm rescued, I'm saved, I'm secured, I'll be in heaven one day. But until then, I guess I just have to figure it out on my own and try harder. Until then, I guess I just have to figure it out on my own and try harder. What? What? How easily could we have forgotten that we couldn't even save ourselves in the first place? We're those boys trapped in the cave who don't even know which way the entrance is. And yet we are tempted to hang the good news of our rescue up in our closets and face the struggles of each day on our own. 
Let me read to you Galatians 1.4 again. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. The word present is in there. We forget that. Like a lot. We forget that our position as children of God, rescued from the darkness into his glorious kingdom, is a present reality. For in this kingdom, we have life that is truly life, and love that is truly love, and grace to cover all our sins now. We're rescued here and now. And that's the good news. Here and now, in this very moment, with whatever you're facing, whatever struggles that are weighing you down, we are rescued here and now. So what does it look like then to wear our rescue every day then? I'll be honest with you, it looks a little bit different for each of us. We all have different struggles and battles. The rescue in its specifics will look a little bit different. But I can guarantee and tell you where it will begin. It begins at the feet of Jesus. Ready to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. It begins at the feet of Jesus saying, I can't do this on my own. I was never able to do this on my own. I'll never be able to do this on my own. God, I just need you. And it begins with believing with our whole heart that the Father's response every time is grace and mercy and his very presence and strength to meet us there in our moment of weakness and need. Oh, he is a good, good rescuer. He is able to keep us from falling. We just need to let him. The good news of rescue is good news for here and now. We need to live like we are rescued because we are. The bad news was, that's the wrong tense. Amen? The bad news was we were lost in the darkness and there was nothing we could do to rescue ourselves out of it. Yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross to defeat the darkness and lift us up out of the dominion of darkness. We've been rescued from the dark depths of addiction, pornography, deception, anxiety, suicide, self-destructive thoughts, pride, addiction, and all of the evil darkness around us. And we've been rescued into the kingdom of the Son He loves, where there awaits us grace for our every need, mercy for our every failing, love that is truly love, life that is truly life, and a relationship with our Maker who loves us more than we could know. That's good news. That is good, good news. Let's live it. Amen? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. God, I thank you for your great rescue of your love that we can't even begin to fully understand. Jesus, I pray that you continue to lead us closer and closer to your heart in the kingdom of the Son 
of light. Lord, I thank you for grace and mercy, for love that is truly love, for life that is truly life, and for rescue that is firm and secure. Lord, we give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.